Hey everybody, it's Microphones of Madness. I'm Rodney. Over there, Steve. Hey, hey, hey. And uh, today we are going back to the classics. We don't often talk about non-genre stuff. This but, is genre uh, stuff, just a different genre. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean, though. It's not <laughs> science fiction. It's not fantasy. It's not weird. Well. Weird in another definition of the term, I suppose. We are talking about the 1967 Mel Brooks film, The Producers. Yes. One of the greatest films ever made in the history of filmmaking. That's right, because the greatest film in the history of filmmaking is your Jimbo. <laughs> All right. So the producers, Mel Brooks's first film, written and directed. It's one of Steve's favorite movies of all time. She's been trying to get me to watch this thing for years. I had never seen it before. Go ahead, tell us what what's so great about it. If you're selling this film to an audience who has never seen it before, pitch it. The perfect storm creates a Broadway smash <laughs> about Nazis. That's pretty much the plot synopsis. Well, the thing that makes this film just great, there's, I think, three things. Okay, go for it. Gene Wilder, Zero Mostel, and Mel Brooks. Okay. The, 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 the way that Wilder and Mostel play off each other mm -hmm. is fantastic. There's really not a moment of downtime in terms of of their their interplay yeah this is not a very long film in comparative no. speaking i don't even think it so, breaks an hour and a half uh yeah it might be like a buck 20 I, I don't know offhand uh time time just is suspended when i watch this film <laughs> <laughs> um you you have so you have that those two the interplay between those two is fantastic. The guy that got to play the guy who plays Hitler. Mm -hmm. Lorenzo saint Bois. Right. Um, who is actually another famous actor, and it's slipping my mind right now. Dick Sean. Okay. Dick Sean is hilarious. He plays... Just the shittiest hippie actor in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and he he's so bad that it's great. He's like part of that the character. Not not the not Dick Shaw, but the character right. he plays is so bad that he's great. He's like it's evil dead before evil dead was evil dead. That kind of thing. Well, you know, the the story about Mel Brooks, though, is that he doesn't require anyone to act. He just chooses the perfect person for the part. So what does that say about Dick Shaw? <laughs> yeah, it could say a lot, but I think Dick Shaw's been in a number of things. I mean, he was a famous actor. Nicholas Cage is a famous actor. Okay. But 
But Dick Sean <laughs> was like, all right, well, if that's how you want to sit. You want to play it. Um, that's how you're going to play it. But he's been in a lot of like, you know, 70s comedies. Right. But that's not the that's not the gag. The gag is is that, you know, he's Hitler. The the yeah. <laughs> the gag the gag is he's Hitler. And then you then you have um Kenneth Mars playing uh the the author of this play. Mm-hmm. Uh Franz Liebkin <laughs> with with such great lines as you're the audience. I am the author. I have rank you. Oh yeah, this is this is Mel Brooks's first film, and you can see beautifully what would be to become the Mel Brooks over. It is, but it's it's the one. Th- the, the reason I like this film more than than other Mel Brooks films mm-hmm. is he doesn't. First off, there's no parody at all right you know there's no movie parody which is what he's you know later on known for mm-hmm. um so all the comedy is very like uh borscht belt comedy and it's like a lot of schlock from mm-hmm. from you know the cat skills and that kind of thing right which is which, which is it's hilarious stuff but he doesn't it's he doesn't like uh it's not one-liners and stuff. It's very, um, you know, like uh, the two thousand-year-old man kind mm-hmm. of, kind right. of thing. So it's 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 wacky, but it's a little bit more laid-back wacky than his later films. This particular film, you see that kind of where where that snappiness originates. That well, there's also it's always uh, there. Uh, there's also a plot. <laughs> Right. There's also in this film that the the that the other films you mentioned are more of um, a series of gags strung mm-hmm. together, whereas this is more of a of, of a plot oriented film. Right. I don't know. I don't know. Like, I even Blazing I... Saddles, which you know is probably you know the everyone's favorite Mel Brooks movie, it's right. still like one liners, one liners, one liners. Mm-hmm. Um, and and there's a loose plot that couldn't even be resolved at the end, so they had to go into like breaking the fourth wall, mm-hmm. and and the the fight in the studio, right? Whereas you know this has you know beginning, middle, and end, right? It's written. I mean, it's definitely written in a coherent narrative rather than almost like a series of sketches, right? But- but a lot of the moments in this film really do feel like uh, just not quite as jumpy of cuts. It's more fluid, but it goes from one memorable sketch to another one. Just it all, you know, it's like like the whole thing occurring over two days. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's just, it goes that fast that it really, you know, something like Blazing Saddles slowed down, but this was really quick. Everything that happens, happens in a matter of two days. So it is madcap from one moment to the next. It's almost like, hang on, guys, catch your breath for a second. 
Well, that's definitely how uh, Mel Brooks operates. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think this was before his philosophy of throw everything against the wall. And if it, if the last gag didn't work, you'll forget about it because the next one will. Right. So the only thing that really doesn't work mm-hmm. in, in this film is the, um, the bit of homophobia. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that, that the, the rest of the film ages really well, except for that. And that's like the one part in the film where he's punching down. And I think that you tend to have that is reoccurring in Mel Brooks movies, to be honest with you. Yeah. Always there. So, the, the, and, and that's unfortunate. And that, um, that was, that was probably also the one part of the movie that kind of stumbled in pace. Yeah. So, I mean, for those of you who haven't seen this yet, they, uh, so the basic plot of the film is, uh, Gene Wilder plays an accountant. Mm-hmm. who was assigned to do the books for washed-up uh, Broadway director Zero Mostel. Uh, in doing his books, he finds a discrepancy and realizes that you can make more money, conceivably, with a shitty flop play than you can with a, a hit. Mm-hmm. Because when the play loses money on the books, you don't have to pay back the backers. So if you over if you over back the play, you could pocket that money as long as the play fails. Right. So they decide to do that. Mm-hmm. So they want to get the worst script, the worst director, the worst actors. So they do all that, and unfortunately, it becomes the perfect storm, and they make the greatest play ever. Right, right. They they made it so bad it was good. Yes. Springtime for Hitler. Right. Was the name of this play. And generally speaking, yeah, it was just an just an awful idea. So at the, at this point, 1968, World War II is fresh in everyone's mind. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, most of the people the well the actors definitely uh, were, were well, maybe not Mostel, but Mel Brooks was in the army mm-hmm. <laughs> and participated in World War II. So it's like a fresh thing. This isn't like, you know, what is it like? Been sixty eight? Like, holy crap! <laughs> right. Yeah, it, it's it was a long time ago. And the other thing is that the the joke of the film is also how it was received. So. It kind of had a double joke. The characters expected something like this to fail miserably. And and it doesn't fail because it makes Hitler look like a buffoon. Mm-hmm. You actually get that. Right. In, um, in, you know, there's some shit on Netflix where they have things where Hitler looks like a buffoon. So you have um, uh, Guess Who's Back is a series about Hitler's return. Uh, it's like supposed to be some comedy. Uh, you just had Jojo Rabbit. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, Hitler has definitely been t- a target for buffoonery right. since then. Right. 
And uh, I don't know how, well, Jojo Rabbit won an Oscar. Right. I don't know how Look Who's Back is doing. Or <laughs> I see it on Netflix. <laughs> you might enjoy. Mm, probably not. <laughs> the main characters, Leo and... Uh, Bialystok. Max Bialystok. Max and Leo. Um, you know, they thought it was a would be a terrible idea. Mel Brooks was told that making this film about these guys making this play was a terrible idea. Mel Brooks spent his entire career being told that right. it, it, it's a terrible idea. And he's laughed all the way to the bank right. pretty much every time. Exactly. Exactly. It's like this film is now on like lists of greatest movies of all time. And he just kind of like proved the theory that that uh, the producers just couldn't believe. Yeah. Well, if you do it right, mm-hmm. people want to laugh at tragedy. You just have to do it in a way where you're not uh, where you're not hurting the victims mm-hmm. of such tragedy. So you have to be respectful, I guess. Um, and you know, as a a Jew who was in World War II. Um, you know, I think that Mel Brooks comes from a perspective where he's going to respect the, the uh, victims of the Holocaust. So, and, and, and it doesn't go there. He doesn't like, he doesn't mention any of the, uh, you know, any of that. Right, right. They even make a comment in the movie. It's like, oh, this third act. Hmm. No, can't be having that. Yeah, um, and and you know it's not like they're they know that um, that uh, Klaus or Franz, right? Sorry, I want Franz Liebkin is a, a Nazi. Oh, they yeah. uh, they spit they spit on the the Nazi armbands that he gives mm, them. Yeah, I know. You know, but, but they're in there for the they're in there for the money, right? <laughs> so uh, I, I think it does respect. Um, you know the the victims of the Holocaust, or at least the Jewish victims of the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. I can't can't attest for, you know. Well, obviously, it doesn't respect the uh, the homosexual victims of the Holocaust because it's pretty harsh, right? Indeed, it is. It's it's an awkward scene. But what makes this film truly one of the greatest pieces ever made? The song Love Power. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll give you that. That was a that was an interesting gag. Yeah, and, and the way the the play is actually done is hilarious because yeah. it's so bad. Yes. <laughs> they have the Busby Berkeley style dancers arranged as a swastika. Right. Kicking Kicking and rotating. It is so over the top. <laughs> and and that's the way that's the way Brooks wanted to make it. He wanted to make sure that this number was just ridiculous. Right. It's like the it's the centerpiece of the movie, really. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree. And it's hilarious. Uh, as a matter of fact, I showed this movie um a few weeks back to Logan mm-hmm. to my son. Um who doesn't like old comedies. He thinks they're right. dumb. And and that's understandable. You know, 
what's funny to to one generation is not funny to another. But he thought this movie was hilarious. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why I think it's timeless. It's like you will have films that that you and I like mm. that our kids aren't going to like because, right. you know, they're dad films or whatever you want to you want to <laughs> call it. Right. <laughs> but there are also films that transcend that. Mm-hmm. Uh, this being one of them. And I think just like uh, of all the, the Mel Brooks films that are out there, mm-hmm. I think this is the one that transcends it itself maybe okay. young frankenstein maybe blazing saddles but definitely this one i think you know because the style of comedy that's used is isn't so uh specified as it gets later on where, where it's a lot of you know visual jokes walk this way and abby normal and all that crap uh, and it's a lot more subtle Mm. You know, it's not as wacky, you know, it's more, uh, I guess, straight man. It's classic. It's straight man uh, comedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Buddy comedy, duo comedy, that sort of thing. Um, straight man shifts back and forth between between Zero and Gene Wilder. And oh, yeah. And it's just this constant give and take for however long the runtime of the movie is because they are in almost every scene. Of course, and, and well, they should be, right? And you know, you get that that moment in this film, and this for me, this is kind of the centerpiece, right? Is when they're doing the big production number that's the, and they flip over to the audience, and then back up to Wilder and Zero, and they're just like, "We're going to make a pile of money." Yeah, nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> because until Lorenzo Saint Dubois shows up during this play, people are outraged. <laughs> well, you have people dressed up in in SS uniforms, goose stepping on stage, right? And just the entire springtime for Hitler, right? And then we get into LSD's performance. I mean, people are starting to walk out until yeah. LSD comes on, and he's and he's got a flower, and he's slumped over a piano, and he's like, you know, she loves me, she loves me not in German, mm. sounding like he's from Germany via California, right, baby? Oh no, she's doing it. Ich liebe mir, ich liebe mir nicht. Ich liebe mir, ich liebe mir nicht. Du liebst mir nicht. <laughs> baby, baby, I leave you. I leave you. Don't leave me alone. <laughs> it's just, it's ridiculous. It is. It is. And then the whole turnaround, the audience is just like, whoa, this is the greatest thing ever. And that was the point when he walked on stage in, or appeared on stage, slumped over the piano. That was just like, it has all gone to shit for these two guys. Right. But they don't see that because they're they're across the street in the bar getting loaded. Right. Because they're (laughs) expecting them to like come tear them to pieces. Or to be like the worst. He even bribes tries to bribe an honest reviewer to to get a good review of the show. Which turns around, of course, he rejects it, so it's guaranteed bad review. Right. 
Yeah, so uh, it's just it's just a really clever plot, mm-hmm. um, and j- the and the execution is practically flawless. Yeah, I really like this movie. Mm-hmm. Now, the dark side of right. this film, um, it was in the ninety. Well, maybe it was the two thousands, nineties or two thousands, when they were making everything into Broadway plays, right. Hairspray became a Broadway play, Tommy, and this. So they had a, a Broadway play of this, which I didn't see. <laughs> Surprise. I'm not a big fan, fan of musical theater. Um, but you know what? Whatever. Mel Brooks does what he, whatever he wants. He probably made a pile on that. And the irony of making a Broadway play out of this is not lost on me. We had Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick. Yes. Because uh, Zero Mostel was was is was gone for a while at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, uh, and the play was a success. People loved it. So they made, and this is the weird thing, they made a movie mm-hmm. out of the play, right? Which was made from a movie, mm-hmm. <laughs> and this movie. That was originally was, thought of as a play, and it just right. keeps going backwards and backwards and backwards. Yeah, this movie, this with with uh, Broderick and Lane reprising the roles from the play, mm-hmm. was ass. Really, you thought so? <laughs> it was ass. Yeah, it was a pile of shit. Lightning does not strike twice. Yeah, I suppose. Well, I mean, look at what they have to compare it to. Well, that's like the point is why. Well, I know why. It's money. Right. But, you know, take the the money out of the equation. That was completely unnecessary. Just artistically. Unnecessary. Because you had one of the greatest films ever made. (laughs) Right, right. You know, restoration to me it's about as egregious as um that remake of psycho with vince vaughn they did that yeah exactly see (laughs) they did a shot for shot remake of psycho with vince vaughn really why shot for shot shot for shot why would you do that I mean, that ha- I guess that happens a lot. Mm. They did it with Hairspray, too. Right. Um, you know, they made a movie from the play based on the movie, which might have probably been based on a play as well. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I never I never actually saw the remake of Hairspray. Um, because, you know, if a movie is good enough to begin with, why would you bother? It's not even, like, clever. Why would you bother? Well, aside from money. Well, and 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 there's the the, I mean, need I say more? Anyway, that's my little rant about the the legacy of of this of the remake movie. But the the reviews, it'll run forever. So maybe that's just part of <laughs> the, the, the meta gag of the film. It is has that- run forever. And I think I think that it's success. The success of the film itself is no. It was a joke. 
within a joke within a joke. It was nested jokes. And I think and I think the fact that we can look at that later and go, <laughs> yeah, he just like uh, he used his first film to pretty much tell what he was going to tell. This is what it's going to be like for the rest of my career, folks. Right. <laughs> and it, that statement is like, okay, on the list of greatest movies of all time. Yeah, well, it's true. Like, you know, he, he Mel Brooks does get very um, meta mm-hmm. in, in practically all of his films. Right. Um, and you know, so, sometimes it's like, blatantly crazy like blazing saddles mm-hmm. uh, sometimes it's really subtle uh like well he'll have running gags that you know reference other films right like the walk this way is mm-hmm. like the big one right right um you know uh robin hood men in tights um does the same with, gag it's they, a lot they, of gags that, that he gag. recycled all, out of that film they, they do the um, a black sheriff worked in Blazing Saddles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's very self-aware, right? And self-refer. And, and each following film is referential of films before it. So right. this is like the first film where really his references are more to other people, right? To, yeah, to to like his his fellow comedians. Mm-hmm. I guess maybe like History of the World was probably a transitional, like phasing that out. Right. Where where you had like a lot of those old Borscht Belt actors like Sid Caesar, mm-hmm. and phasing it into, you know, like your Spaceballs and Dracula right. Dead and Loving, where it's a lot more zany and and self referential and and. Parody, parodying a, a a film or a series of films or a genre mm-hmm. with a lot more pratfalls. There's not there's not that much uh, physical comedy in this one. Well, except for you know the the short the short fuse. Right, right. <laughs> which, is, which is another high point of the, of the film. That. Such a great way to do that. Yep, that was a good gag, and it. This was the early film for Gene Wilder, too. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, to see what he would end up becoming later as well. You know, by the time you get to things that everybody knows, like Willy Wonka, which is yeah, well, a I mean, strange role for him. Gene Wilder uh, became uh, almost a partner mm-hmm. of Mel Brooks for a while. Um, he did a lot of the writing on Blazing Saddles and... Um, Young Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think he introduced uh, Mel Brooks to Richard Pryor, mm-hmm. who did a lot of the writing on uh, on those films as well. I-, I guess you know it doesn't surprise me because like famous people flock together and work with each other, and, mm-hmm. and it happens right. all the time. It's just you know the it was just cool that you would have. L- I guess they weren't legends at that point, but now. They're like legends. <laughs> right. You know, Gene Wilder, Richard Pryor, Mel Brooks are fucking legends. Right. You know, Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor made a shit ton of movies together and they were mm-hmm. all hilarious. Yep. 
it's just strange how that how that worked out. It's like this film being that one drop started it all, touched off a lot of stuff. It really did, and and it doesn't help that it's like actually a good film. Mm-hmm. You know, you you have you'll have like uh, films that that explode into the genres or whatever that you know, on the long and short of it, are not as great as um, what they what they you know produced later on mm-hmm. what they spawned mm-hmm. you know, like 2001 <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> oh please don't make me watch that speaking of not aging well <laughs> what did you think about the whole um zero mostel sleeping with octogenarians to, to uh, fund his place <laughs> From what I understand, it's based on a true story. Is it? Yeah, that uh, he worked. He worked for a, a producer or somebody in the business who that was their thing. And then he knew a couple of guys who were producers who were doing the exact same plan, and he merged the two characters together and created this film. It's, it's kind of a, a reverse me too kind of thing. Yeah. It's it, it. And to lead off the film with it being like, so explicitly put there <laughs> that, 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 yo, this guy is terrible. Yeah. I, he's like, um, he's a horrible human being. Uh, zero Mustel's character. Yes. Um, but you know, he does have a point. Um, the the women that he's fooling around with, they don't mind, right? I mean, I think a lot of them know it's consensual, mm-hmm. right? He's not pulling the wool over. Well, he is. He's lying to them and saying that you know he's not producing good products, right? Right. And I think a lot of them know this up front that his plays are shitty, right? Uh, but, but you know. They they want the they want to be loved as well, right, right because they are paying him yes. willingly, making the checks out to cash. Yeah, the weirdest the weirdest name for a play I've ever yeah. seen. And it's almost like they know, right? You know what? Yeah, what I mean, doing. someone would have to, but you know they maintain that fiction. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's but it's still weird. It is weird. I uh, know it, it's a weird situation, um, and it's kind of skeevy. Mm-hmm. It's a skeevy situation, but it's played for laughs. Oh yeah, um, and it's it, it and once again, it doesn't it doesn't punch down, right? Um, so it is funny, mm-hmm. right? Um, if it was the younger women, then it would not be funny. Right. Mm-hmm. If it was non-consensual, uh, well, as a matter of fact, he is actually he does it, but he doesn't like it. Right. Um, you know, so not that he's the victim; he's still a predator of sorts. He has a whole closet full of pictures that he just rotates onto his desk. Yeah. For an appointment, I mean, and that—that's the other part of the film that's a little little iffy right 
how he funds his uh, money. He did, but you know, he does get his just desserts in the end. To be honest, he is going to defraud all, all these little old ladies, right? <laughs> Eventually, so you kind of have to have like this. They know, mm. right? Or, or it becomes completely reprehensible, you know. And, and you know, he is a reprehensible character, and but he's played um, as really charming. Mm-hmm. The courtroom speech. They explicitly say this character, this guy is reprehensible. Yeah, Gene Wilder talks about how shitty of a human being Max Bialystok is. Yes. And then turns around and says, but who has he really wronged? Not me. (laughs) (laughs) Just, you know, a hundred little old ladies. Right. But uh, they tend to be, the the little old ladies of the piece were pretty convinced by that speech. Yeah, well, that was... their reaction. They were in the court, all dressed like they're, they're there for a funeral. (laughs) because he's going to jail he's like you know the only one that still pays attention to them and he's going to jail Mm -hmm. and uh it's like um maxwell silverhammer that line from maxwell silverhammer where rose and um valerie screaming from the gallery saying you must go free Mm -hmm. his victims don't feel like victims you know that, and I guess that doesn't age very well either. No, perhaps not. Perhaps not. Well, I mean, this was back in a time where you saw more con men as heroes movie. Yeah, that no, that's true as well. I mean, that, this was the age of um, of the antihero. Mm-hmm. You know, you had Butch Cassidy and Sundance and Bonnie and Clyde and. You had a, a lot of a lot of um, heroes that weren't one hundred percent white hats. And the thing is, it's play for it's play for laughs, mm-hmm. and it doesn't punch down in that part, right? You know? Um, you, know, you break it down, yeah. It's kind of his behavior is reprehensible, mm-hmm. but it's still it doesn't portray anybody at, clearly as a huge victim, um, as opposed to. You know, the the scene with the director mm. where they're just, you know, j- just making fun of, of gay people. Right. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Um, that's our look at the producers. It's, it's a fantastic film. Everyone should see it at least once. Don't see the, the remake. See the original film. The right. remake's garbage. And with that... Just keep 30 luck points. Yeah.